Uh, we've been in a study for the whole summer, basically, on you know, getting to know our Savior, getting to know Jesus Christ, who he is. Uh, we've, we've covered different names that he holds, different titles, different functions that he serves. Um, and then we got to see how he teaches, how he, he is the one having authority. You know, not only does he teach using God's word, he actually is God's word. And so he has the absolute authority when he speaks. Um, and then we saw last week Landon uh, had a, an opportunity to teach, did a tremendous job. Um, and we saw the, the parable, one of the many parables that, that Jesus taught and uh, just was an awesome picture of, you know, our hearts and our response to the, the word of God at any time. And uh, so tonight we're going to transition again. We're going to go several weeks looking at uh, different people that, that Jesus interacted with. You know, he, he came across all kinds of people. There's always a common theme in, in the people that he comes across, and it's always going to be related to the gospel. It's always going to be related to his kingdom. It's always going to be related to his glory um, and, and those different uh, interactions with people. And so uh, tonight we're going to see his interaction with a a very interesting character. Uh, if you've got your study sheet, we'll get into that in, in just a minute. As we're getting started, though, I just want to ask, uh, how many of you like scary movies? Some. Some of you do. Okay. How many of you have ever seen, uh, it's an older one, it's called The Ring? I'm not making recommendations. I'm just asking. Uh, because I watched part of that, and it scared me so bad, I'm not I don't watch scary movies anymore. I didn't like that one. It was when Jenny and I first got married. We had our first apartment. We had a TV in our bedroom. We were big time, you know, making our own decisions, staying up late, watching scary movies before bed. It was awesome. You know, we, we were able to do whatever the heck we wanted to. And nobody could tell us otherwise. It was, it was great. And then, you know, that creepy girl with the long stringy hair climbed out of that TV. I was like, what kind of crappy movie? What is this movie? And then that girl, that other girl, got dead in the, in the closet. <laughs> and her face was all twisted. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done with scary movies. I hate this stuff. I don't like it. I, I didn't open closets at night for a long time after that, just in case. I don't like scary movies. Right? That's just creepy, weird stuff, right? And then... You know, a little bit ago, a couple of years ago, that, that show came out on Netflix, Stranger Things. Anybody seen Stranger Things? Not recommending. I've seen it. I'm just saying. We were watching it, and, and several episodes in, Jenny said, I'm done. I'm not watching that anymore. And I thought she was just being a chicken like me. She said, no, it's, it's just too close to real life. Like, it's a... It's like a dog demon thing. That's like eats people. Looks like a flower. It's weird. It's, that's not real life. She goes, no, it's it's too too close to real life. And and I was like, what in the world are you talking about? If you don't know what the, the show's about, there's like these kids in the '80s, and there's this parallel place called the Upside Down, that's dark and demonic and evil and frightening. And she said, man, that's. It's just too close to real life. There's two realms. There's, a, there's the world we see and there's a spiritual realm, right? And everybody that you see and know around you that's struggling with things, what's actually going on in the spiritual realm probably, possibly looks like Stranger Things. I don't know. The upside down 
has control. And tonight we're going to see a man who was actually demon-possessed. Like, I wish when I read these stories, because I'm a chicken, I wish when I read these stories that I could say, well, that's, you know, that, that's just Jesus telling a story. That didn't actually happen. You know, no, that, that actually happened. It, it, and it's scary. So tonight we're going to look at an interaction Jesus had with a man possessed by multiple, actually, demons. And while this is not something that, that we really recognize, specifically in America today, you can go all around the world, there's, there's some weird demonic stuff that goes on in the world. And, you know, I'm not telling you that, that, you know, if we list these problems and you have these problems in your life, that you've got a demon necessarily. Uh, we'll, we'll get to what that all likely is. But we're going to look at the interaction that Christ had with this man and learn about what Christ can do to deal with our inner demons, so to speak. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 8. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 26. We'll read all the way to verse 40. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it should be up on the screen and you can follow along. Verse 26 starts off and says, They arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and fetters. And he brake the bands, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would uh, not command them to go out into the deep. And there was, an, uh, there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And he, they besought him that he would suffer them, or allow them, to enter into them, and he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then when they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. <clears throat> uh, verse 36, They also which saw it told them by what means that he, or he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of them, or of the Gadarenes round about, besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way, and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass, when Jesus returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into this passage. Lord, thank you uh, for this story. Thank you for being honest with us uh, about the, the scary things that absolutely really do exist. 
the, the control that Satan desires to have in each of our lives. And uh, if nothing else, he just wants to distract us and keep us from seeing you as our Savior. So, Lord, I pray that you open our eyes and our ears, soften our hearts tonight to your word. Help us to identify ourselves in this passage so that we can be set free. Lord, I love you. I, I'm thankful for your word and your guidance. And I pray that you help us to apply it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so this, this story is about a man who's controlled by what the Bible calls unclean spirits. Cleanliness in the Bible is, is not normally referring to how you know, physically dirty you are on the outside. It's, it's normally associated with the sin, the filth that's on the inside, and, and we all have that, right? And so the first thing that we see in point one is the unclean condition of the lost, and that's this man. He's lost. He's without hope. He's in bondage to this demonic oppression. And he's unclean because he's full of sin. All right, and, and one thing I, I want to just clarify, I'm not proposing that, again, all of the things on this list are strictly a, a sign of demon possession. If, if you've ever had this, well, it must be a demon, right? It'd be convenient if we could just blame somebody else all the time for our problems, right? Welcome to America, 2019. We like to blame everybody for our bad decisions and our own sin and our selfishness. We don't get a pass here. But they're definitely, the, this list of things are definitely not from the Lord. We, we can say that definitively, right? They may or may not be demon possession, but they're definitely not from the Lord. This is a list of torments that any soul goes through living without Jesus Christ, right? At, at different levels, at different times, it just happens to be a list that this man was suffering, uh, you know, because of this demon possession. And I think all of this makes sense if we look at what the Lord said in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, ye are of your father the devil. He was talking to some religious people who, who thought they had, you know, they were clean on the outside, the, the Pharisees. And he was like, no, I, d I don't care about the outside. You, you, you do all the right things, you say all the right things, but your heart is full of wickedness. Right? He says, ye are of your father the devil. The lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And basically what Jesus was pointing out is, hey, there, there are two spiritual realms that, that nobody really can see. Right? There, there's the good guys and the bad guys, obviously. Right? There's, there's the family of God. You, you only get in through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Everybody else is of that other family, right? And we're subject only to the lusts and desires that, that come from ourselves and, and that this world uh, perpetrates, right? But we just need to see, we're going to look at this list of, of items. We're not going to read through the, the passage again. The first if you notice, the first thing that it says about this man was that he was naked. Right? He, he wear no clothes. He was naked. In the Bible, when you see nakedness, there's always followed behind after that some sort of shame or directly associated with the nakedness. The very first time we see it is Genesis 3.10. And this is Adam and Eve. They just finished sinning. They tried to make their own clothes. They tried to cover their shame on their own. Genesis 3.10, it says, He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, this is Adam speaking, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
He was ashamed because for the very first time, he had something to be ashamed of, his sins. And he tried to cover them himself, and, and we saw a couple of weeks ago that, that God made coats of skins for them. Right? God had to cover their sins, didn't he? He had to cover their shame. And an animal had to be sacrificed to, you know, to do that, and it, and it happened to be a lamb. <clears throat> you know why some people don't like to go to church? Sometimes it's because there's judgmental people in church, and, and that's, there's judgmental people in Walmart, too. There's judgmental people everywhere you go, right? We are a judgmental people. We want everything to be our way, when we want it to be that way. But, but a lot of times people don't want to come to church because they have sin in their life, and when you get around people who are worshiping Jesus, who is righteous and perfect and pure and has never had any sin in his life, but yet took our sins upon him, what do they feel? What do you feel when you come to church and you have sin in your life? What do you feel when you're around somebody who's, who's walking close to the Lord, but you're not? You feel shame, right? You feel like, man, I think they're seeing right through me. I've got clothes on, but I feel like, you know, that, that nightmare that people have of, you know, giving a speech in front of a big crowd with no clothes on or something weird like that. I feel shamed. I feel shame because I've got sin in my life. Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, it talks about the, the unholy trinity, the, the dragon, the, the beast, and the false prophet. There's devils coming out of them. And verse 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, his clothes, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Every time it pops up, it's, it's associated with shame from the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation. And so it's, it's no wonder that this man who's consumed by wickedness, indwelt by wickedness, is running around with no clothes on. And the picture is that, that he's sinful, obviously. He's separated from Christ and he's sinful. The second thing that we see is he's living in a graveyard. It says that he's in the tombs. He's surrounded by death. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 and 56 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of, the sin, of sin is the law. I, for the longest time, I couldn't make sense out of it. I was like, why, why is the law a bad thing? No, the law is the absolute standard of perfection. And because there's an absolute standard of perfection, sin can't go through that. Sin has power over you as long as you're subject to the law. Jesus Christ satisfied the law, right? Jesus Christ paid the penalty to satisfy and complete the law so that you can go through, so that the law no longer has power over you because your sin's been washed clean. But without that, sin has power. And, and its power is death, separation from God. And so it's no wonder that this demon-possessed man is living in and around tombs, and it's only death all around him. The third thing that, that we see is that, that he was driven of the devil. Who was in control of this guy's life? Not himself. Right? He, he was not in control. He was controlled by the desires of this world and the wicked mind behind them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, Wherein in time past... Before you knew Christ as your Savior, 
In time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You think that Satan doesn't have a path set for this world to follow? You're, you're naive, right? Guys, think about how long ago was it? How young were you when you saw your first pornography? I was, I can remember, I was four. There's a course of this world that wants to destroy your mind and how you think and pervert it and convince you that Satan's lies are true and that God is the liar. The course of this world is out there to convince us. Satan is behind that, right? We're driven of the devil. That's just the course that we get set on and and we need to be set free from that. The next thing that we see is that he calls himself legion. And a legion, if you, if you look at historically how the, the word was used, in ancient Rome, a legion was anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. That doesn't necessarily mean that this guy had 3,000 to 6,000 demons inside of him, but it's also used in other places just to, to signify that it's, it's a whole lot. Right? It's, it's many, and that's what he says here in, in this specific passage. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 12 has a, a weird and another scary <laughs> passage about demon possession. In verse 43 of, of chapter 12 of Matthew, it says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. This is the, the unclean spirit. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. It refers to a man as his house. That's creepy. Uh, From whence I came out, and and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then he goeth and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be, be also unto this wicked generation. How many people do you know that have sin in their life that they by their own determination and self-will, just suppress that thing. And they clean themselves up, and they take care of everything, and, and they look like they've got it all under control. What happens when you do it in your own power? Seven more come, because you can't keep the house clean. Right on your, your sheet, reformation is not salvation. Because reformation, your own ability to clean you up is not what Jesus is looking for. Right? He, he works in the opposite, opposite direction, the opposite way. He starts with salvation and then he reforms your heart. You surrender to his control and he cleans you out. And then nobody's coming back in. You come to him first through Jesus Christ, then he changes you. And this is not about gaining control of your life. I mean, I've got this sin, and I just, I just keep doing it. I've got I've to stop doing this. How many of you have ever had that sin that just keeps popping back up, and you just say, Lord, that was the last time. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm not doing that anymore. And then you do it again. But I'm still sick of it. I'm, I'm more sick of it this time. I hate myself. I'm so sick of it. Keep, keep scrubbing. You can't clean the inside. You can't do it through your works and your effort. 
This is not about you gaining control of your life. It's about you surrendering control to the only one who has the power to clean you out. Can you see the difference? It's, it's completely opposite. And the, the last thing we're going to look at, there's a couple of more, we just don't have time. The last one that, that's in, actually in Mark's gospel is self-harm. Self-harm. We see this detail in Mark's gospel in Mark 5.5. 5, it's the same story. It's Mark's telling of it. And it says, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Man, this guy wants that mess out of him so bad. He doesn't even know how to get it. How does a person come to the place to where they, they want to do themselves harm? What, they want to end their life. I know one place it doesn't come from. It does not come from the Lord. The Lord is not at all interested in you hurting yourself. He doesn't want you to, to hate yourself, to, to try and you know, mutilate yourself or destroy yourself. He wants you to surrender to him so he can heal you. So that all that stuff can be removed. I can tell you with assurance that did not come from the Lord. Psalm 139, 14 is an awesome verse. It says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. You see, I've been made by the creator of the universe. Everything he makes has a purpose. Nothing he makes is a mistake. Not one of us. You may feel like it because you make mistakes, and you make bad choices, and you have sin in your life, but he did not make a mistake by making you. He has an intention for you. He has a plan. Everything he touches is full of wonder. And we're put in awe of him when we see his design and the things that we look at. The human body is so fragile, yet it's incredibly complicated. And it's incredibly resilient. It's, it's amazing to me. Every time you know, a new baby's born, all of the things that had to go right for that to happen... And, and even when everything doesn't go right and it, and it still comes out and, and it's healthy and what an amazing, incredible creation. We've not evolved from something else. We've been created this way. We're intelligent. We're capable of learning. We're, cre- we're capable of creating and designing ourselves because of how he created us. If you look at what God said just before creating the first man, Adam, in Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air, the cattle, over all the earth. So what was, what was the pattern for his creation? It was himself. Now, again, we have sinned as mankind. We have messed up the picture a little bit. We have distorted what he originally created, but what he created was not a mistake. And what he, ha- he created did have a purpose and still does. God's intentions are always beautiful and purposeful. Satan is the one seeking to pervert every one of them. So all of these conditions are things that hold us in bondage. right? Whether it's an actual demon that's holding you there or it's just your sin. It's all demonic. It's all devilish. It's all sinful. Right? We didn't even mention the fact that he was on a mountain. And that represents the high places 
right? Where do we do battle? We do battle with principalities and powers in high places. They want control of your mind, right? Also, we didn't mention his superhuman strength, that they would bind him up and he would break out of them, and bind him up and he would break out of them. Have you ever felt like something had a superhuman grip on you? I, I know people who have had anxieties to, to the level that, that it feels like something is squeezing them and crushing them. Their chest is heavy, they can't breathe. Something is physically affecting them because of the fears and the insecurities and the worries that they have. Man, these things get a grip on you. This list of demonic possession attributes or, or you know, characteristics, it sounds like what everybody I know goes through in life when, when times get rough and they don't have Jesus Christ to depend on. And they don't have him delivering them from these things. They've got to take medication. They've got to, they've got to see psychiatrists. And if you're seeing those and taking those things, I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying stop doing that. I'm saying, has Jesus been your answer yet? Right? It's not my job to prescribe or to stop prescriptions. My job is to point you to the answer that is Jesus Christ. So the second thing that we see is what happens when Christ comes into the picture. Point two, the unclean is made clean. Right? We can't clean ourselves, but Christ comes in and cleans us and we get freedom. And it's interesting, as soon as Christ comes on the scene, you can see in letter A, wickedness knows its final destination. Wickedness, these, these demons understand where they're heading. If we look again in verse 28, it says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. He knows his final destination is torment. He just wasn't expecting Jesus to show up on the scene yet. Verse 31, they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Their final destination is associated with the appearance of Jesus Christ and torment and a place they refer to as the deep. We don't have time to study that, but we can see it in Jude 1, 6. It says, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the, the great day. Right? And Jude uh, 1, 13 says, To whom is reserved blackness of darkness forever. And their final judgment we see in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. And they're, they're in a place called hell that God created for those demons. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and they burn forever in torment. Right? This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God is not desiring to destroy you or me. He's looking to get rid of the wickedness on, in, on the inside. He's looking to get rid of the bonds that has you broken and has you tied down and is keeping you from being free. He wants to cast it out so it doesn't drag you with it to that place. Do you happen to notice where 
he sent the, the demons where they asked to go? It's pigs. In the, the Jewish law teaches us that, that pigs are considered to be an unclean animal. So he sent the unclean spirit into an unclean animal out of an unclean man who's now clean because Christ came in and cleaned things up. It's not just because they're dirty or muddy and smelly, and, and they are. They picture someone living in the muck and the mire of a sinful life. They can't get up out of it. They smell like it. <laughs> they live in it. They eat in it. You know anybody like that? I used to be that until God picked me up out of the mire and cleaned me. From one unclean creature to another, he sends them. They're separated from God because of their sinfulness. The second thing that we see here is that your flesh will lead you to destruction. If, if left to yourself and left unclean, without Christ intervening, what happens? He goes into unclean animals. What do those unclean animals do? They're headed straight for death. They're headed straight for destruction. Not only will your flesh lead you to destruction, others' flesh will lead you to destruction as well. They'll, they'll take you to the same place. So who are you hanging out with, and what are they encouraging you to do? Are they encouraging you to trust in Christ, to deal with the things that you're dealing with? Or are they encouraging you to take the world's way out? Because ultimately, the world's way out is right into destruction. They're just lying about it. Why do you think God was so adamant that, that Israel not intermingle with the nations that surrounded them. He said over and over and over again, don't marry from, from the tribes and the nations that are surrounding you. Why? Because they're demon worshipers. They're idol worshipers. They, they mutilate their children. They worship Satan. Don't have anything to do with them because when you start hanging out with them and you start marrying them and you start spending time with them, you start thinking like them. And you start worshiping the things that they worship, and you start behaving the way they behave. Stay away from them. They're evil. We see the passage in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about marriage here. But it can be all kinds of different relationship scenarios. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? The answer is none. And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel, somebody that doesn't believe? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and God, God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, some of the loneliest people I know are married And they're with somebody that does not love the Lord and will not support them and cannot understand them and fights them on every decision and they have children together and they do not agree on how to raise them. Some of the loneliest people I know have somebody and a ring 
and they're miserable because they're unequally yoked. Ye are the temple of the living God, and God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. I will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He's serious about it because it's going to drag you down. It's not like you're going to be able to go out, find somebody who doesn't love the Lord, and, and just because you're just so wonderful, they'll turn. They'll make that decision eventually. They'll, they'll come to the Lord. Maybe, but maybe not. Wisdom says, wait till they do that first. So a couple of questions. Why do the demons react the way they do? Why does your flesh fight so tenaciously for control? The answer is letter C. Because Christ has power over whatever has power over you. Jesus Christ has power over whatever has power over you. If you're submitted to him. If you've given him control then he has control. That's the point. Proverbs 29.2 is an awesome verse. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. You may be thinking, how, how can you be so sure that the people would rejoice? Because none of the list that we went through of those different bondages, none of that comes from righteousness. It doesn't come from a place of righteousness. It comes from a place of wickedness. When Christ is on the throne of your life, he rules in righteousness, and you get to reap the blessings. Of course you're going to celebrate that. That's awesome. When he's in control, even when times are tough, he still wins. And you're on the winning side because you're on his side. That's a big deal. That's a good thing. He rules in righteousness. You reap the blessings. You finally get to have peace in your heart, even when the surroundings are not peaceful. You get to have rest in your soul when righteousness has control. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but it does. Rest in your soul when righteousness has control. It's very true. Mark one twenty seven is another instance where Christ was casting out unclean spirits from people. It says they were all amazed insomuch that they question among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority commandeth, even, commandeth he even the spirits, the unclean spirits, that they do obey him? That's exactly right. Even the scary things that we don't understand, that we can't overcome on our own, they have to submit to him. When you're surrendered to him, they have to. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God. Even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. Eventually, he's going to do away with the rest. Eventually, all wickedness and all spiritual powers throughout the universe are going to be put down once and for all. But right now, if you're submitted, he's in control. 
he has power. And what comes next doesn't really seem to fit. The, the reaction of the people doesn't, doesn't add up at first. Like, here's this crazy guy you keep chaining up, and he keeps breaking out, and you're scared to even walk by, and, and he's, he's demon-possessed. They're scared of this man. Christ cleans him from the inside out, heals him, casts the demons away. You would think the crowd would be pretty excited about that, right? Woohoo! Crazy naked guy. Good job putting clothes on that guy. He calmed him down, right? That's awesome. Now we can, you know, go visit our deceased loved one's gravesite again or something. I don't know. The first thing we need to re- recognize, though, before we get to that point is, number three, this man has been cleansed and commissioned. He's cleansed and commissioned. But when he's cleansed, letter A, the world is frightened by a changed life. It doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to make sense at first. Verse 37, again, it says, The whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him, that's Jesus, to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear. The fear is probably the right response. Wanting him to go away, probably not a good idea. You know what they're thinking? They're thinking, what if I follow Jesus? And he makes me get rid of the fleshly desires too. I kind of like some of that stuff. They were afraid that they would have to change too. They were afraid that a new authority was in town. That they didn't, they couldn't be the boss anymore. Hebrews 11 25 says, choosing rather to suffer, suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and say, look, stay away from sin. Don't ever sin. It's not any fun. It's not any good. You won't enjoy it. It's all bad. That's not what it says here, is it? It actually says that sin is pleasurable. But it also says it only lasts a season. Right? It, it's, it's temporary. There is joy, ish. <laughs> I don't know if it's joy, it's happiness, it's, it's something that feels good. But the results, however, those last a whole lot longer. Some, for some, those results last in the eternity. So why is the world so afraid of this when it sounds like such a good thing? Because Galatians 6.14, Paul tells us, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you, when you glory in the cross, when you put all your eggs in that basket, when you, you bank on Christ and what he did on the cross for your sins to save you from your sins, to, to clean you, to keep you every single day, when your focus is the cross, he says two things are going to happen. He says, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. When the cross of Christ is the focus of your life, two things are going to be put to, death, put to death in you. The world's grip on you and your desire for the things that it has to offer. When the cross is your focus, the world has no grip on you. When the cross is your focus, you don't care what it has to offer. 
You stop chasing that because you know it's a lie. Because the cross is freedom. When you take up your cross every single day and you focus on that, you have a day of freedom. You have victory ahead of you. Because the world's grip is gone and your desires are changed. This guy goes to Jesus and he says, man, take me. They're kicking you out. These people hate me. Don't really like them either. Whatever, you know, whatever the reasons were. The reason, you know, could just be, you're awesome, you set me free, I'm going with you. Right? But letter B, it's not time to go with Jesus yet. When you finally give Jesus control, there's something in us that just, we just want to be with him. Right? Obviously, that's his spirit inside of us speaking. Remember what Paul said, he said, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live a life for Christ. I'm going to live a life like Christ. I'm going to live a life that, that shows Christ to everybody I see. But to die, that's gain. I'll get, she'll get you. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why is, it, why is it gain to die? Because I get to go be with Christ finally. I don't have to be here separate. I get to, I get to go where he goes. I get to be where he's at. His answer is in uh, verses 39 and 40 to the man. The man says, take me with you. I want to go with you. He says, return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and he published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. Right? God says, go show them. And he went and stood in front of them and told them. Right? He didn't just walk the walk. He talked the talk too, didn't he? You got to do both. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, he came back to that area. The people gladly received him. For they were all waiting for him. Right? So this guy had the opportunity to go share the message of what Jesus Christ did for him. Look, it's not just that he gave me clothes. It's not just that I'm, I'm not cutting myself anymore. It's not just I've been set free for eternity. And he wants to set you free too. Of course they're going to be excited when they start to understand. We thought we, thought we were the ones who were already free, and you were the one in bondage. The reality is, without Christ, we're all in bondage. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Do you know what reconciliation is? Reconciliation is when two parties are at war. Or you've got, let, let's use a husband and, and wife scenario. Say, let's say the husband was a chump and he did something stupid. Imagine that. Never been there, but I've heard this happens. Uh, so, so the husband does something stupid and now the relationship is, is messed up. For the time being, the relationship's messed up. We're not on the same page. We're not okay. What has to happen? Well, I have to 
if I've done the stupid thing, the sinful thing, the mean thing, whatever it is, usually it's just insensitive because I'm clueless. I mean, whoever I was talking about is clueless. It's me. What has to happen is I have to turn from whatever I did. I have to repent. I have to ask forgiveness. Are we good? Are we reconciled at that point? No, because my wife has to forgive. And see, we, in our sins, are not reconciled with God. But Jesus Christ has already set the forgiveness thing out. It's done. It's a done deal. He, he went to the cross to show you that he loves you, to show you that he's all ready to forgive. All you've got to do is turn. You turn from your wickedness, turn to him, and he says, we're now reconciled. We're good. You and me, for eternity. Now, we've got to walk with him. And, and, and tomorrow you're going to sin, and he's, he's not going to cast you out of his family. He doesn't do that. But are you okay in your relationship walking with him? The Bible tells us that we can quench the Spirit of God. You know what that means? We, we can be so disconnected because of our sins that we can't even hear what he's saying. We're, we're so connected to what we want to do, when we want to do it, even though we've got Jesus Christ and his Spirit living inside of us. We, we, we're, we're just all messed up. We're not currently reconciled with God. 1 John 1.9 tells us what we need to do. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he already did it. He already dealt with it. He already put forgiveness out there. He's ready to forgive at all times. Are you ready to turn? When you do, you're reconciled. You're good. That doesn't give you a license to sin. There are consequences to everything that you do, positive and negative. This verse is not just referring to this, the first time you come to Jesus for salvation. This is walking with him continually. So where are you? Is there a, a sin keeping you from being at peace with God today? Is there something going on in your life that you need to deal with? That you need to say, God, I, I agree with what you say about the sin in my life. I'm going to call it what you call it. And I'm going to agree and I'm going to turn from it. And I need your help. Because we all do. And he's faithful and just to forgive us. And, check it out, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just like he did with that, that man who was full of demons. He's the one that cleanses us. We'll wrap up with one more verse. Hebrews 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So the, the question is, what is it that has control over your life? Or who is it? What sinful behavior or appetite of your flesh easily besets you or takes control of you? What is it that, that has you in bondage? Jesus has power over whatever has power over you. That's a promise. Surrender to him and allow it. Allow him to put it to death. Allow him to set you free and once you're free, 
go intimidate people with what he can do in your life. It's a weird way to think about it. But people are afraid at first and then comforted to recognize that, that he's actually there. The change is real. He means what he says. He can actually pull it off. He will actually set you free. And they'll start to desire it. Show them and tell them that Jesus is now in control and that you now have peace and they can too. It's available. We started talking about scary movies. This is way scarier than any, any movie. Not that demon possession stuff, I mean, that for real is. I, I will be leaving the lights on tonight. But leaving yourself in the grips of bondage when you don't have to. We've been set free. Let's pray. Father, again, what an awesome, scary story. Weird events that, that we don't have a lot of explanation for, but you can use it to, to help us see where we're at. And Lord, I do pray, if, if anybody in here does not know you as Savior, that today, tonight, they would call out to you and trust in your name to save them. Trust what you did on the cross to save them from their sins. Recognize that, that you and you alone paid the penalty for their sins. And if anybody's in here and, and they're just in bondage from making sinful decision after sinful decision and they don't know how to get out of it, Lord, I pray they would, they would seek your forgiveness. They would repent. They would turn from whatever it is that they would maybe ask somebody to help keep them accountable. Maybe ask somebody that, that's a little further down the road, how, did, how do you get victory over sin? How do you get past this thing? Lord, we're all susceptible, we're all weak, we're all selfish. I pray that you help us to, to take ownership of our, our sin and our decisions and turn them over to you in submission, and we know that you have power over all of it. I love you, I thank you so much for, for everyone here. I pray that you're glorified by the time we spent. In Christ's name I pray, amen.